Good morning, Hope Astoria. I'm so glad that we're able to gather around God's Word as a church family. I want to welcome family, friends, guests that are joining us. I'm so glad you're tuning in. If you were with us last week, you know that we are in for a special treat yet again because our very dear friend Mike Turgiano is with us again, bringing God's Word. As we prepare for the return to in-person gatherings, I felt it was really crucial for us to spend some time intentionally talking about what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit as He leads us and guides us. And I've invited my dear friend, Mike Turgiano, someone who's walked with God for decades, has served God's purposes, a man of character and integrity, and a very pivotal leader in the Vineyard Movement, a dear friend to myself and to Pastor Denise and Khan, um, and a dear friend to our church, to come and minister in this season and in, in this focus because he has such a special gift in this area. So I want to encourage you to open up your heart, open your Bible, get ready to receive all that God has for us at this time. Today, I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. They were making a mess of things and desperately needed instruction. Today, despite a widespread renewal of interest in the Holy Spirit and his ministry, church after church still remain ignorant of spiritual gifts. This ignorance may be a chief cause for the immaturity found in many congregations and at the, the root of much of the discouragement and frustration <clears throat> that plagues so many Christians. Are you really the person God wants you to be? Do you feel as though your life lacks purpose and direction? If so, I'm sure the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in a different and more productive direction. Today I want to talk about how discovering and exercising spiritual gifts, while certainly no magic formula, can be a huge step in that direction. One of the scripture passages I was encouraged to commit to memory when I first became a follower of Jesus was found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That last phrase made it so appealing. Doing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will was my sincere heart's desire. But these two verses posed a problem for me, as it does a lot of Christians. I didn't find them very practical. What did it mean to present my body as a living sacrifice, or not to be conformed to the world, or being transformed by the renewing of my mind. They were wonderful verses, but not very clear as to how all this applied to me personally. They felt good 
to recite. And they reminded me that part of living the kind of life that would please God would take consecration and dedication. But I didn't find them much help in finding God's will. All I could figure out was that the more consecrated I became, the more God's will would become clear to me. A lot of Christians believe this. So finding God's will was, uh, became a matter of praying more, fasting more, surrendering more fully, becoming more, uh, more good and moral. It was a lot of hard work, often frustrating work. That's not to say that my efforts were all for nothing. God by, you know, God, by his grace, did give me certain guidance as I did my best to consecrate myself. But there had to be a better way of finding God's will. Now, don't get me wrong. A consecrated life is certainly necessary for doing God's will. But to find the practical way for discovering the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, I needed uh, to read further ahead to verses 3 through 6, where Paul continues, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God distributed it to, your, <clears throat> to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. Here, Paul says uh, the key to coming to practical terms with God's will for our lives is to think soberly of ourselves. That is, we need a realistic re uh, evaluation of ourselves, a sane estimate of our capabilities. As the starting point in evaluating myself, there's no room for pride. Sober judgment assumes humility on my part. On the other hand, we're to recognize that part of our spiritual makeup is a certain portion or measure of faith allocated by God. The implication is that every Christian may receive a different measure, making each Christian unique. Unique how? To explain, Paul uses the body as a metaphor. The body of Christ operates exactly like a human body. Each Christian is a member of the body of Christ and has a particular function to perform just as uh, the ear or the hand does. We're all members of the same body. So in a very real sense, all believers need each other. So how do I know if I'm an ear or a hand or some other part? How do I know how God wants me to function? What role I have? Well, our purpose in the body is determined by our spiritual gift or combinations of gifts. After saying that as members of one body, we belong to each other, in verse 6, he adds this. 
we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then begins to list specific spiritual gifts. So from this passage, we find out that the church is organized around spiritual gifts and that discovering your spiritual gifts is more helpful for knowing God's will for your life in a, in a practical way. To do the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, you must think soberly of yourself. To think soberly, you must be realistic about the, your measure of faith. Your measure of faith is the spiritual gifts that has determined which member of the body God has designed you to be. And it therefore reveals to you the, the special task God has given you to perform, presumably for the rest of your life. The church exists at many levels, locally, denominationally, and universally. Even more broadly than that, the church, namely the people of God, exists in a real way in the wider context of the workplace six days a week, as well as in the congregational groups that gather on Sundays. <clears throat> what, do you, what you do in the workplace is a legitimate form of service to God, and that, <clears throat> that service, that ministry, will be even more effective if it uh, revolves around your spiritual gifts. Wherever God's people may be at the moment, their spiritual gifts are available. Now, who has a spiritual gift? Not everyone. Unbelievers don't. However, every committed follower of Jesus has at least one gift, or quite possibly more. Peter wrote, God has given each of you a gift for his great, uh, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Paul echoed this with, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. If you're a follower of Jesus, spiritual gifts are an important part of uh, the makeup of your life. This <clears throat> should come as great news to the average believer. It's good to know that God knows each one of us. He loves us and considers each of us special enough to give us spiritual gifts so that we can serve him by serving others. You know, many school districts in America have established special programs for gifted children. The implication is that ordinary folk are not gifted, just a few are, but not so in the body of Christ. God gives a, a gifts all of us. God's gifts and God's call are closely associated. God doesn't give a gift he doesn't call us to use nor does he call someone to do something without equipping that person with the necessary gift or gifts to do it. A person's specific calling can be referred to as one's area of service or ministry. The particular way or setting in which God wishes you to exercise your gifting. There are many specific callings in which a gift can be used. For example, some might have the gift of teaching and be called specifically to use that gift uh, among children in Sunday school, while others might use the same gift of teaching in writing books or in the pulpit or in a public high school. 
At this point, I guess it would be helpful to define just what spiritual gifts are. A spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace for, for use within the context of the mission of the body. The common Greek word for spiritual gifts is charisma. It comes from the root word charis, which in Greek means grace. So you see, there's a close relationship between spiritual gifts and the grace of God. Again, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, but to each one of us, grace, charis, has been given as Christ apportioned or distributed it. This is reminiscent of the measure of faith, which also is tied to charismata in Romans 12. So you could say that spiritual gifts are tangible expressions of God's grace, which is how God, uh, Peter sees it when he wrote, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. <clears throat> this intimate relationship with grace is <clears throat> uh, very informative as to the nature of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents. They're manifestations of God's grace. They're grace in action, grace felt and heard, experienced as, spoke, as a spoken word, a healing touch, an act of kindness. Spiritual gifts are gifts, uh, are gifts, not rewards or uh, merit badges. They are grace gifts, received, discovered, and developed, not earned. And as tangible expressions of grace, spiritual gifts are practical. They get results. When the gift of healing is in action, people are healed. When the gift of evangelism is operation, people come to Christ and are saved. People learn as the consequence of the gift of teaching. When the gift of administration is active, things get done and run smoothly. Nowhere does the Bible deal specifically uh, about uh, with discovering spiritual gifts. But the fact that it does urge us to seek gifts strongly suggests that it's possible nevertheless. Practically speaking, there are lots of tools available to help in this discovery, books, seminars, and inventories. But let me share three uh, things that can put you in a position to make your discovery. This doesn't cover everything, but it will get you moving in the right direction. First off, I discovered my spiritual gift just like I discovered my natural talents, by trying by experimentation. You'll never know unless you try. So put yourself in a position to need gifts by serving needs. Make yourself available to help others. Furthermore, I examined my feelings by taking note of what energized me and what gave me life, as well as what I found draining and taxing to do. These feelings aren't infallible, but they are clues to what my gifting was and, that, <clears throat> and what it wasn't. 
when I when I'm operating in my area of gifting, I feel most alive. I'm at my best. So what energizes and gives me life? This may be an in indication of what you were made for. And of course, I had to honestly evaluate my effectiveness. As I said before, spiritual gifts are very practical, so expect them to work. If God has given you uh, a gift, expect results. If you experiment with a gift and consistently, over time, find that what is supposed to ha uh, uh, happen doesn't happen, it hasn't been a waste of time. You probably have discovered a gift you don't have. If you consistently do these things, you'll eventually uncover and discover your spiritual gifts, your place in the body of Christ, and eventually God's will for your life. Remember, for we are God's masterpiece, Paul wrote. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he, that he's planned for us long ago. So let's pray together right now. God, thank you for blessing us with different spiritual gifts, which may be joyfully used to serve you and others. Help us to identify and better understand the gifts that you've given us. God, allow us to explore, develop, and nurture them so that they can be fully utilized, faithfully administering your grace. God, encourage us to use our gifts serving our local church community as well as outside in the world around us. And as we do this, help us to seek your will for our lives and to accomplish what you purposed giving us ample opportunity to use your gifts as a means to impact lives for the glory of Christ. Amen.